Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin, our number is 877-381-3811, Well, I want you to listen to something, if you don't mind. By the way, I hope you're well. And then I want to break it down. I am a constant and relentless critic of Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. These Sunday shows are propaganda operations for the left. And the Democrat Party. They typically have a rhino or some kind of Republican there to offset the host and two or three other guests. But it's obvious where they're coming from. And if you read on Freedom of the Press, you know that most of these people are Democrats or their family members are Democrats. Such as in the case of Chuck Todd. We've talked about this many times before. He was a campaign operative for Tom Harkin in college. Uh, I don't know that he ever graduated college. And then also his wife is a very, very highly paid consultant, as we've talked about before, and she was also a consultant to Bernie Sanders, among others. So Chuck Todd is a Democrat. Those are his instincts, those are his beliefs, that's his soul, and that's his mind. George Stephanopoulos, as you know, ran the war room for Bill Clinton and viciously attacked women who Clinton had viciously attacked when they would dare to come forward and criticize him. There's two Sunday shows right there. And they're not alone. There's many, many more. Many more. Forget about Republicans. There are no real conservatives who are hosts on any network, network, I didn't say cable, network Sunday show. Chuck Todd is the worst because he's the dumbest of the bunch. And he's the worst because he's the most Aggressively aggressive. You've heard of passive aggressive. He's the most aggressively aggressive. And uh, he embraces every one of these 
American Marxist movements that have been spawned of the Karl Marx ideology. Every one of them. Whether it's so-called climate change, open borders, critical gender theory, critical race theory, he embraces every single one of them. So before he comes on one of his shows, he's got many during the week, but Meet the Depressed, you can tell he's he sat with a, sort of a quasi-brain trust, or he's used uh, what little brain power he has to, to try and come up with arguments and talking points to counter whatever it is that's going on in politics or society that doesn't meet the agenda of Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, or whomever. And you'll notice they've never met an extremist on the left, ever. They've never met an extremist on the left. Whether it's AOC or Talib or Omar or Presley or Bush, whether it's Farrakhan or Sharpton, they have never met an extremist on the left, and they never intend to. So Marxism gets a free ride. In fact, worse than that, they become mouthpieces for Marxism. Now, we know what's going on with critical race theory, and I must tell you, critical race theory is just part of the problem, one piece of the problem. And so this has to all be broken down, and we will do that very, very soon. But I want you to listen to this exchange, and it's only a little over a minute. It actually went on longer on Meet the Press Sunday. These Sunday magazine shows on the networks are the biggest propaganda efforts that they have. Cut five, and you're going to hear Brad Todd. He's some kind of Republican consultant or something. Cut five, go. You mentioned critical race theory a couple times. This is a parent-led backlash at the grassroots level. And it's, it's manufactured. No, it's, the it's completely. And then, and then sort of the seems to have been lit. You see, Chuck Todd says it's manufactured. Chuck Todd has not visited a single one of these school districts. Chuck Todd has not taken the time to read a single one of these training manuals. Chuck Todd hasn't interviewed a single person involved in any of these efforts. Because he's not a newsman. He's not a journalist. He's a demagogue and a propagandist for the Democrat Party. And now, the critical race theory movement. It's just manufactured. Now, before I go on with this, and you're really smart. This is the smartest of all audiences, so we can all keep track. There was a fantastic piece uh, by uh, John McWhorter. John McWhorter is an associate professor. He's a brilliant man. I don't know him. He does this podcast with Glenn Lowry. I invited Glenn Lowry on Life, Liberty, and Levin a couple of years ago. He, uh, he chose not to come. Why, I'm not sure. But I may have McWhorter on at some point. And it's interesting. He, he anticipated this. And the headline of his piece on his own site is, You're not a racist to criticize critical race theory. Dismiss those pretending... That if you don't like what's happening to our schools, you're a jingoistic moron who doesn't want kids to learn about racism. And it's, it's a long article. And in the article, he points out, and he calls the elites the elects. E-L-E-C-T-S. He says, the elects commonly insist that critics of CRT would feel differently if they read actual foundational articles about it. But the issue is what is being done in CRT's name, not what some articles contained decades ago. The early writings by people like Regina Austin, Richard Delgado, Kimberly Crenshaw, who you'll all learn about in American Marxism, 
are simply hard leftist legal analyses proposing a revised conception of justice that takes oppression into account, including a collective sense of subordinate group identity. These are hardly calls to turn schools into Maoist re-education camps, fostering star chambers and struggle sessions. Actually, they kind of do do that, but let's go on. However, this indeed is what is happening to educational institutions across the country. Moreover, it's no tort to call it CRT in shorthand when these developments are descended from its teachings and their architects openly bill themselves as following the tenets of critical race theory. In language, terms evolve and quickly witness of late how this has happened with the cancel culture and even woke to insist that CRT must be properly uh, referred only to the contents of obscure law review articles from decades ago, is a debate team stunt, not serious engagement with a dynamic and distressing reality. It is a debate team stunt, and that is exactly what Chuck Todd is all about. He is a debate team person who is filled with stunts. And so when he says it's manufactured and then sort of a firewall was lit, Chuck Todd is trying now to do exactly what Obama did. When Obama was interviewed and critical race theory came up, Anderson Cooper gave him a complete pass. He laughed it off. What's the big deal? And yet Obama knows exactly what it is. It is a racist, bigoted ideology that is unencumbered with historical fact. It's, let me put it this way in a way that everyone can understand. It's Farrakhan dressed up as learning. It's Louis Farrakhan dressed up as learning. Now let's start from the top. Cut five, go. You mentioned critical race theory a couple times. This is a parent-led backlash at the grassroots level. And it's manufactured. No, it's, the fi- it's completely. And then, and then sort of the lake to the seems to have been lit. The fire up. was lit. I disagree. Yeah. I think it started because p- parents have had it with the education bureaucracy after COVID. Mm-hmm. They're fed up with it. They tend to trust Democrats when it comes to education funding, but they trust Republicans on education accountability. I think that what the backlash you're seeing on critical race theory in schools is another example of parents trying to hold educators accountable. Now, somebody named Corey. Cornell Belcher is about to jump in. And you can tell Cornell Belcher is a real radical. You can tell. Go ahead. It's aggressive. It's intentional, right? This is, this is part of the, the, the tribalism play. The critical race theory is, is yet another tool in the, in, the, in, the, in the racial tribal boogeyman's toolbox to drive and inflame tribalism, which Republicans think thinks helps them in, in, in elections. This is, this, is, this is Trump 2.0. So... This so is, So in other words, it's Trump and Republicans who are to blame. They're just bringing this up because they want to bring it up, because they're racists. So the real Balkanizers, the real tribalists, are Trump and his supporters and the Republicans. Nothing's going on out there. All they're doing is teaching history. This is a complete lie, right? And that's the way you're supposed to treat it. Just dismiss it. Now, all the parents out there know that's false. But most people out there don't have children in elementary and secondary school. And they're observing what's going on here. Now, the truth is that some of the biggest bestsellers of the course of the last 18 months are all about critical race theory, promoting racism. They've been all over the place. They've been all over the New York Times, the Washington Post, all over. Big media, big tech, 
These people have made a fortune off their books, a fortune off of training seminars, a fortune off of speeches. That wasn't made up by Donald Trump or his supporters or Republicans or me or you. George Lenoy, research professor of public policy and political science, University of Maryland, describes CRT through the writings of the two best-selling proponents, Robin DiAngelo and Ibrahim X. Kendi. CRT begins with the perception that race is the primary way to identify and analyze people and consequently posits a racial hierarchy that supposedly exists with whites on the top and blacks at the bottom. Individual behavior is insignificant because everyone in America functions within a society of systemic racism, structural racism, and institutional racism. CRT affirms this perspective by pointing to various existing racial disparities, which it claims are the result of racist discrimination. So according to this perspective, efforts by public and private organizations to enforce civil rights laws in employment, housing, contracting, education, etc., they're either insufficient or pointless. CRT offers two responses to this situation. First, all whites must admit their culpability by confessing the advantages white supremacy confers on them. Failure to do so reflects white fragility, an instinctive defensiveness that whites are said to display after they have been trained about their investment in racism. Second, individual whites cannot hide behind any personal history of non-discrimination or the desirability of race-neutral laws or policies because the collective action of their race has been oppressive. And it goes on. Folks, this is what the people who believe in this are saying and writing and reaching millions of people and reaching kids in classrooms who have no choice but to listen to this stuff. And for Chuck Todd, I'll meet the press and NBC, to act like this is manufactured when the evidence is choking, like smog. And for this fool Cornell Belcher to try, to try and turn it on Republicans and Donald Trump, just shows you what a sleazeball this guy is, is incredible. Which brings me back to John McWhorter, the associate professor, brilliant man. This is a stunt by the media, by the left, and so forth. It's baloney. Because this is really going on. And it's not to be dismissed. Chuck Todd, the media. When Trump said it's the enemy of the people, he couldn't be more right. I'm going to give you another example when we come back. Based on the show I did, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, which Fox reruns on Saturday, and it was, they reran it this Saturday, from Mediaite to the other so-called news platforms, and Mediaite basically is a regurgitation outfit, and how they do what they do, because I dared to spend a full hour questioning what was going on to the people who've been rounded up as a result of January 6th. And I want to show you how they lie and mislead and misinform intentionally. Propagandists. Propagandists for an iron-fisted centralized police state, if you can believe that. Because that's what the Democrat Party believes in. That's what critical race theory is all about. Marxists. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. 
Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So now there's a concerted propaganda campaign among those who promote critical race theory, among the media who embrace all these spawned American Marxist movements and Democrats. Because they'll never stand on their own. They'll never admit to what they're doing. And yet, they've written so much and said so much. I have it all right here in American Marxism. There's no getting around it. Among the worst, of course, is Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's not a historian. She's a radical leftist propagandist promoted by the New York Times. And here in part is what she had to say on a Sunday show on MSNBC. Go. Clearly, there's nothing in this project or in critical race theory that says anything about little white children and how little white children should feel. She's a flat-out liar. She is a flat-out liar. Go ahead. That is just Republican strategy. That's a Republican strategy. See, isn't it amazing how similar she sounds to Chuck Todd and this other clown who was on Chuck Todd's show? It's almost they hand out the talking points. Now, they don't have to hand out the talking points. One hears what the other says, and then they just regurgitate it. And they have access to the biggest uh, microphones in the country, if not the world. And so now they want to create ambiguity around what they're doing. Go ahead of dismissing this work that is forcing us to confront uh, both the racist past of this country and the way that that we're trying to confront the racist presence of this country right mr producer people like nicole hannah jones and others of the 1619 project black lives matter antifa joe biden and on and on and on we want to confront racism today And this is the racism we have today. Not about history. It's about racism. And racism is used as a pretext to destroy America. That's the bottom line with these American Marxists. More when I return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. 
through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So Nicole Hannah-Jones has brought on MSNBC and CNN and public TV and National Public Radio and these other places as some kind of a qualified expert. She's not a qualified expert. She's a demagogue and a propagandist. In my view, she's also a bigot. So here's what she said on MSNBC yesterday. Again, cut six, go. Clearly, there's nothing in this project or in critical race theory that says anything about little white children and how little white children should feel. Um, that is just Republican strategy. And it's a way of dismissing this work that is forcing us to confront uh, both the racist past of this country and the way that that racist past still shapes the society that we live in uh, by pretending that what it's really doing is uh, trying to paint all white children as racist or make all white people think that they're racist. That, that's actually the opposite. Both my work and critical race theory are about structures. They're not about individuals. And they're actually trying to move us away from she's so She's so dishonest. The other day I played you a piece where she said 1619 Project has nothing to do with critical race theory. Remember that, Mr. Producer? So she's lying. Would you invite her on this program? I know, we keep trying. It's, it's amazing. Well, in his book, and you remember I interviewed Peter Wood, president of the National Association of Scholars, on life, liberty, and Levin, his book called 1620, A Critical Response to the 1619 Project, says the larger aim of the 1619 Project is to change America's understanding of itself. The 1619 Project aligns with the views of those on the progressive left who hate America and would like to transform it radically into a different kind of nation. Such a transformation would be a terrible mistake. It would endanger our hard-won liberty, our self-government, and our virtues as a people. Said the 1619 Project has taken ideas that a few years ago were exclusively fringe, a good way into the realm of mainstream opinion. The idea, for example, that the American Revolution was a pro-slavery event, once circulated only among conspiracy-minded activists, with comic book-style theories of history. The 1619 Project has brought it from the playground into the classroom to the consternation of serious historians everywhere. And he condemned this 1619 Project as phony scholarship. He says it's critical race theory dressed up as history. The usual way for disputes about history to be resolved, he said, is for historians to present their best arguments and their sources and journal articles. Each side can, be, can then examine the evidence for themselves and hammer out the truth. But the 1619 Project evades this kind of transparency. Hannah Jones, who makes some of the most audacious claims, cites no sources at all. The project, as presented originally in the New York Times magazine, contains no footnotes, no bibliography, or other scholarly footholds. 
In December 2019, the New York Times Magazine, five exemplary historians, quote, expressed strong reservations about important aspects of the 1619 Project. I'm reading from my book. The project is intended to offer a new version of American history in which slavery and white supremacy become the dominant organizing themes. The Times has announced ambitious plans to make the project available to schools in the form of curriculums and related instructional material. These historians, many of whom are just brilliant and have got received all kinds of distinguished awards or distinguished professors, they're not right and left, they're historians. They explained in this letter that the errors which concern major events cannot be described as interpretive or framing. There are matters of verifiable fact, which are the foundation of both honest scholarship and honest journalism. They suggest a displacement of historical understanding by ideology, dismissal of objections on racial grounds that they are the objections of only white historians has affirmed that displacement. And they go on. Now, one of the things, again, I explain all of this in American Marxism, and you're going to need it to counter the media, and you're going to need it because I'm going to come under brutal assault, and so are you, and we're going to fight back. We're not taking this crap. We will not be marginalized. We will not be characterized. We will not be defined. And I started out a little earlier as an example of what they're doing to start to lay the foundation, which I'll get to, I think, next hour. But it's very interesting because one of the founding fathers of this movement in the 1970s, a guy by the name of Derek Bell, said... So much. He said, it is our hope, again, American Marxism is the book, that scholarly resistance will lay the groundwork for the wide-scale resistance. We believe that standards and institutions created by and fortifying white power ought to be resisted. Decontextualized, in our view, too often masks unregulated, even unrecognized power. We insist that abstraction put forth as rational or objective truth, in other words, the American founding, smuggles the privileged choice of the privileged to depersonify their claims. And you notice the verbosity and the, uh, and, the, and, and the unserious use of words, and then pass them off as the universal authority and the universal good. To counter, so they reject, you see, Western Enlightenment. They reject Aristotle. They reject the, the, the genius of some of the ancients and some of the more modern philosophers. They reject the American founding based on the Declaration of Independence. See, Chuck Todd knows none of this. He's a damn fool. He's a wet blank. He knows none of this. He doesn't, he's so lazy, he doesn't take the time to look into it because he doesn't want to know about it. He's a cheerleader. He's a, he's a celebrant of the hard left. He's a propagandist. To counter such assumptions, we try to bring to legal scholarship an experientially grounded, oppositionally expressed, and transformatively aspirational concern with race and other socially constructed hierarchies. Remember when the professors, the history experts said before, they don't give us any footnotes or any perspective. That's because they don't want to. It's all about emotions and feelings and cherry-picked information. Now, this is what I wanted to point out. Page 97. And of course, any negative critique of Bell's righteous quote-unquote cause was met with the charge of both white arrogance and white ignorance. So in other words, 
just as these brilliant historians, these truly expert historians were dismissed because they haven't experienced the same thing, and most of them are white and so forth. Derek Bell said, that's what you do. Just dismiss them. They're white. Or if they're not white, their minds have been colonized by the white society. And I write thus, no criticism of Bell or the critical race theory is said to be legitimate. In fact, it is evidence of the very systemic racism, according to Bell, which he keeps writing about. And it goes on. I'm not going to read the whole book, but I've gotten getting more and more into it because I just can't hold back forever here. So the point is, you can't criticize Nicole Hannah-Jones. You must be some kind of reprobate Republican who's trying to cover up the history of the country. You can't criticize critical race theory because, number one, they'll say, first of all, you don't have the experience of the oppressed. Number two, you're not of the race of the oppressed. Number three, if you are of the race of the oppressed, your mind has been conquered by the oppressors. And number four, we're not really doing any of this, you see. So what are you criticizing us for anyway? Like Chuck Todd says, this is a Republican conspiracy theory. It's Donald Trump 2.0, says his clown guest. This is why, in my humble opinion, this book is crucial. Because it anticipates, I anticipated what they would say. Because I know what they do. I've been doing this a long time. I know what they do and I know how they do it. But evidence, facts, knowledge is the way you crush this effort. Where they want to promote this this poison. And it's not just critical race theory. It is filth. It is a war on private property rights and capitalism and your way of life. These are the various forms of American Marxism that have been spawned from Marxism itself. And I want you to be prepared and to be engaged and to be informed. That's the whole point of the book, American Marxism. And I will tell you, since I'm asked all the time when I see people, I can tell you as of tonight, almost 140, no, I'm told, over 140,000 hardcover copies of the book have pre-sold. And when you include the other audio and e-books, well over 150,000 pre-orders. Just to give you a little bit of context, and no predictions. I don't know if you'll like the book or not. I hope you find it enormously useful and compelling and intriguing as a tool to use in everyday life right now. Liberty and Tyranny in its first week sold a total of 117,000. It was the biggest book on liberty and conservatism in decades. The pre-orders on this book are significantly greater than the first week sales of Liberty and Tyranny. I want to encourage you to jump in. I have people telling me I bought two copies, three copies, five copies. I'm handing them out. I want people to know this and so forth. These are great patriots. But everybody can't do that. But I did convince the publisher to keep the price down. Amazon has the lowest price right now at almost 40% off. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than a, uh, than a course in college. A little over 17 bucks. It's the best I can do. 
But I'm hoping this has an impact, an enormous impact, the way liberty and tyranny did in the Tea Party movement, and even Thomas Paine and what took place back then, because we are, in fact, looking into the abyss as far as I'm concerned. On the other hand, we are Americans. We are red-blooded Americans, regardless of our race. And we don't just roll over and play dumb. This is a very aggressive, violent minority. I'm not talking about racial minority. I'm talking about what's between the ears. This is a very aggressive, violent minority. These various American Marxist movements. But you must remember, Marxism for the most part, is never voted in the office. It's always violent. A revolt. Violent revolution in Cuba. Violent revolution in Venezuela. Violent revolution in China. Violent revolution in Russia. Marxists don't get elected to run countries. A violent, aggressive, 24-7 revolutionary movement. That's what takes over a country. Whether Chuck Todd understands this or not is his problem. He's just a dumbass. Whether he understands it or comprehends it or manipulates or wants a narrative is of no consequence to what goes on in your kids' classrooms, what goes on in corporate boardrooms, what goes on on the border, what goes on in our economic system. He and they are of no consequence. They've already embraced what's taking place. Jake Tapper worked for the Democrats before he became a journalist, so-called. George Stephanopoulos worked for Clinton before he became a journalist, so-called. Chuck Todd worked for a Democrat before he became a journalist, as his wife does, so-called. And we go right down the list. Journalism has been conquered every bit as much as our classrooms and academia. Every bit as much as Hollywood. Same damn thing. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I just heard a commentator on our favorite cable channel say, among other things, we have violence, and one of the reasons is because, you know, both sides kind of downplay the violence that's taken place, depending on what and who they support. And I thought that was egregiously 
um, stated, this kind of moral relativism. I don't know anybody who supports violence, who's a conservative, a constitutionalist, who believes in the rule of law and has a moral bone in their body. On the other hand, every now and then you have to use your brain. It's called reasoning. It's called what's before your eyes. And rather than playing the Washington talk, rhino Republican kind of uh, model, again, anybody on January 6th who harmed somebody, who broke somebody or whatever, should be punished. By all accounts, they are being punished. But you've got to follow the Constitution. And the question is, those of us who are detained, how are they being treated? We know that over at Mediate, which is a failed platform, they don't care. We know over at Newsweek, they don't care. We know on virtually every liberal platform, major and minor, they just don't care. When it comes to Black Lives Matter, a violent, anti-Semitic, anti-American Marxist organization, or Antifa that has been spending the last decade burning, marauding, and brutalizing, they don't care about that either. That's the difference. More when I return. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, So the media, the Democrat Party, which are joined at the hip, um, one and the same. It's obvious to everyone, including them. They are hell-bent on keeping their characterization of January 6th alive and forever so even if you ask questions about the conditions in the jail what kind of food detainees are getting why they're being detained for such a period of time uh, why certain people are chosen to be detained why SWAT teams that we hear about and this sort of thing anyway they're going to attack And this is what I've gotten used to this look. This is the way it works. And there are certain sites that that are utterly and completely predictable. Like Mediaite, which is really a front for the left. Media Matters, which is really a front for the left that's paid by the left. And then you can see, it's funny because I said to my wife Julie, I said, okay, here's the Mediaite piece. Now watch how it's regurgitated all through the media. And all Sunday long. They said the same. If you Google Mark Levin in January 6th, you will see a whole conga line on Sunday. Uh, basically the same talking points in the same story. And you know what's hilarious about this? That was a rerun on Saturday. But here in part is what I said in this part near the end is utterly and completely ignored by media and the rest because they don't want Answers. They have not been knocking on the on the uh, 
on the jailhouse doors to see what's going on with people. It's called mediaite. So presumably it has some media aspect to it. And it was uh, founded by Dan Abrams, you know, the guy with the, uh, with the squirrel that's glued to the top of his head. And he's a liberal Democrat. His sister is a very liberal judge appointed by Obama in, in New York. And he comes up with these shows about courtroom antics where you can watch and other things like that. But one place he doesn't want to take his cameras is into this jail. One place media doesn't want to go is into this jail to find out exactly what's going on. They haven't talked to a single detainee. They haven't talked to a single family member. They haven't talked to a single defense lawyer. They haven't talked to anybody. Because that's the nature of the beast today. Now let's just listen to this briefly. Cut one, go. What has happened exactly to the hundreds of people who were involved on January 6th some of whom broke into the Capitol building, some of whom were on the Capitol building steps, some of whom were on the Capitol building grounds. Not the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands who came spontaneously that day to protest the election and to support Donald Trump, but the others. What has happened to them? So the snarky prebubescent who writes for uh, media says, well, look at this. We have, look, look, there's been news reports. CBS says this, NBC. That's not what I meant. Julie Kelly has more information on that than media will ever have. She's actually gone through the files, not just citing news reports. What I meant is, what has happened is they have been processed. How have they been treated? Have they been forced to plea in certain cases? Have they gone through the jail system? Not what's in the public pleadings, you idiots. And yet that's what they wrote about all day long on Sunday, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? Look at this. I'm citing myself. I'm citing NBC. I'm citing... Look at this. We know this, this. They completely missed the point because they want to completely miss the point. So I would ask them, how many have been held in solitary confinement? They don't know. Why has anybody been held in solitary confinement? They don't know. What kind of food are they receiving? They don't know. How many of them were, quote-unquote, detained as a result of SWAT teams? They don't know. And the list goes on and on about what they at Mediate and these other places do not know. And they do not care. Instead, they want to mock, try and embarrass. I don't embarrass. I don't. Go ahead. We are supposed to be a free country. We have a constitutional system. We have due process. Take a look at the Constitution. And I would ask Trey Gowdy. He might be interested in doing a show on this, right? He's a former prosecutor, Mr. Producer. Rather than, you know, this side makes excuses, that side makes excuses. I think Trey should do a show on this. Maybe go to the jail himself. If he's working out of Washington, D.C., nice and close, can just pop over there and see what's cooking. I'd love to hear his perspective. Go ahead. Secret trials in this country. And yet, what has happened to these people? We get little spurts of information here and there from the two or three independent reporters, none of whom are associated with big media or big tech, who are bothered to look into this. What are we hearing? We're hearing that we have more FBI resources applied to this than to anything else. And that wasn't shown in any of these stories either. I read, I read them. 
I laughed at all of them because they all said almost exactly the same thing because that's the nature of the bobbleheads who work in these, these entities. How many FBI agents are working on this? We don't know. How many prosecutors? We don't know. How much money has been spent? We don't know. In the context of Black Lives Matter, in the context of Antifa, how many FBI agents, prosecutors, and how much resources have been used? We don't know. Oh, okay. Go ahead. All over the country and being charged in some cases with misdemeanors. We have SWAT teams that are being used to collect people and bring them back to Washington. We're hearing that they're in some of the worst jails and that some of them are being put in solitary confinement where they only have an hour where they can go outside, if that. That they're being fed poor food. They're being treated like they're terrorists and in Guantanamo Bay where they'd be treated actually better. Doesn't everybody remember Guantanamo Bay and the terrorists? How the Democrats were extremely upset about how the terrorists... Al-Qaeda terrorists were betraining there. They were attacking George W. Bush relentlessly. Lawsuits were being brought. On and on and on. The media very, very concerned about how cutthroat, mass-murdering terrorists were being treated at Guantanamo Bay. See, I have a good memory. Long memory. You understand that, mediaite? No, they don't. They're stupid. They could care less. So American citizens... Oh, well... Now, if these were Black Lives Matter detainees being held in solitary confinement, being forced to stay in their cells 23 hours a day, being fed poor food, if these allegations are true, what do you think the media would do? Where would Attorney Crunch be? Where would all the civil rights activists be? Where would Nancy Pelosi be with her stormtrooper propaganda? You get my point, folks? I just am talking about this because this is our media. This is the way our media conduct themselves. So really, there's only a handful of us who are willing to dig into this because of this. The media know that they can try to intimidate people. I don't get intimidated. I get pissed off. I don't get intimidated. You know, when I was in elementary school, there were bullies. I think, what grade was I in? Third or fourth grade. My dad was a very tough man, but a very decent, kind man. But he grew up tough. He grew up in abject poverty. Even though he was white, he grew up in abject poverty. And uh, he would go to elementary school. He'd have to walk about a mile and a half, two miles each way every day. And then after elementary school, he would join his mother working till about midnight or one in the morning at the cigar factory that was down the street. I guess you would call that environmental uh, injustice, right, Mr. Producer? But everybody lived near and worked near the factories so they could get a job. And I remember once I said, Dad, you know, there's this bully, there's three or four of these guys... uh, I don't know what to do. It's an elementary school. He said, I'll tell you what to do. I said, what? Pick out the biggest bully of the bunch. If he lays a finger on you, floor him. I'll back you up. And that's what I did. 
Now, today they would send you the Sing Sing. Ooh, look at this. Aggressive little bastard. Wrap him up and send him off to jail. But not then. And they would leave me alone. And I learned my lesson from that. The media in America today are filled with bullies. Bullies. I don't take any crap from them. Period. They outnumber us, but we're smarter than they are. I'll be right back. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. It's a pleasure to have the Republican leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? Good. I have a serious question. Do we have on the payroll, on the House of Representatives, like a full-time psychiatrist to help people who have to deal with Nancy Pelosi? But it's not just Nancy. you got Omar. <laughs> That's you got true. Lee, you got Cory Bush. And they keep growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the... Any new Democrat comes in and is no longer a Democrat, they're a socialist Marxist. Mm-hmm. And, and their belief that they say things that you would never believe in this country that somebody of an elected position would actually think about or profess to, to support. And, you know, uh, leader, I, uh, I listen to these people, and I think to myself, we have these magnificent institutions in this country. Yep. We have these magnificent traditions in our country. Has there been a single proposal since Nancy Pelosi's been Speaker, especially in the last few years, a single one that's intended to undergirding them, strengthening them, liberty, private property rights, free speech, freedom of association, our constitutional system, they just throw barrage after barrage of destruction at us, don't they? Oh, yeah, they just try to eat away at the foundation. Last night, my wife and daughter, we were watching John Adams. and was, We were getting into the section section where they're talking about the Declaration of Independence, the writing of it, the Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. And when you listen to those words, and this is what hit me last night. It's so interesting you asked this question. I'm thinking those words of the rights of why we stood up, why we created our own nation, 13 colonies bounding together. They're putting their name on the line when the odds are all against them. For the whole concept of freedom, and they walk in to the House, and they have a whole different view of that majority. They want to tear it apart. 
And, you know, when you look across the world, and you, you just think about it, America's more than a country. America's an idea. Well, why would three million people in Hong Kong stand out there in the rain against China because they believe in freedom of speech? Why would those one million kids more than a million years ago go to Tiananmen Square, make the lady of democracy like this, it looks like the Statue of Liberty? Why would that young man stand in front of that tank? Every time that tank moved, he moved. We don't know his name because he's not alive today. Mm-hmm. But he understood what America stood for. He understood what freedom meant. He understood what our forefathers fought for. Um, and we need that same voice today because we're being knocked down from all these other crazy ideas. The Democrat Party obviously believes that it needs to embrace a new constituency and create a new constituency. I think, you know, it used to be the party, and I'm going to use their constant reference to skin color and race, which is repugnant, but I'm going to use it because they use it. It used to be the party of the white working man and woman. Now it's a party that keeps talking about white supremacy, white dominant society, embraces the most radical elements in this country, wide open borders here, clearly trying to affect the demographics in this country. The way your state, California, was affected. You couldn't elect Ronald Reagan in your state today if your life depended on it. And they're doing these things for the Democrat Party, not the benefit of the country where the party comes first. This is a very difficult thing to confront, isn't it? It is. And you've got to be scared about this because, remember, we're policymakers, and their focus is not about putting the country forward. Their focus is about maintaining power and keeping the Democratic Party in power. Yep. Like when they did their HR1, that is nothing about empowering individuals. That's the about voting controlling bill. controlling an election. Yeah, yeah, that's totally about controlling election. Do you know they put a speech czar in there that would tell us what we can say? Oh, man. Like the social media that you couldn't talk about China or that came from Wuhan? And then they want to take a federal election commission that is bipartisan, equal number of Republicans and Democrats, and weigh it heavier and change it where it's one side party control. And then they want to take your taxpayer money, your hard-earned money, and they want to bring it into campaigns. So it's... Uh-oh. I think we, we just lost. We'll try and get uh, Kevin McCarthy back. But I think these broader issues of principle and so forth are important, ladies and gentlemen. And I think uh, Kevin McCarthy's making some tremendous points here, important points. And I'll tell you something else. It's not every Republican in Congress who wants to come on this program. And Kevin McCarthy comes on this program. Are you there, sir? I'm there, but I think it's the Democrat or Chinese talking <laughs> me off. They're talking. I think it's the Chinese or the Democrats or both. Anyway, a uh, couple of quick questions. How does Eric Swalwell remain on the House Intelligence Committee? And how does Omar remain on the Foreign Policy, policy whatever you call that, Foreign Affairs Committee, when one guy sleeps with a communist spy and the, and the other one is really, in my personal opinion, the mouthpiece for Hamas and the Taliban and these other wretched entities? It's amazing. And, and Nancy Pelosi defends them. The only way they stay on is because of Nancy Pelosi. The only way you get on Intel Committee, and it's different than any others, is the leader of both parties selects. And the Intel Committee, your listeners have to understand, is so different. This is where the the secrets of America are kept. This is where we understand what we fund um, 
and militarily and others to combat our adversaries. Now, think about this. Eric Swalwell in the private sector could not get a security clearance. Mm -hmm. But Nancy Pelosi gives him the biggest clearance possible for all the secrets of America that members of Congress cannot get, except if you're on the Intel Committee. When he got put on Intel Committee, it wasn't that he came to us. The FBI came to Congress to warn us about him and who he's associated with. Mm -hmm. You would have thought she would have removed him then. She kept putting him back on. Mm -hmm. Why would the FBI know who this person is? And what is the first thing that happens once they warned? She left the country. Mm. Left the country. Well, uh, I don't think Nancy Pelosi cares that much. I mean, uh, when you look at the uh, Portland federal courthouse there, the third branch of government, they were attacked, attacked, attacked. And when President Trump sent federal law enforcement to protect that federal facility, she called them stormtroopers. Which brings me to my final point. How come some police are stormtroopers and others deserve medals? I don't understand. Uh, On the Capitol, they deserve medals, but in Portland, they're stormtroopers? I got 20 seconds. Because Nancy wants to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. I believe in the rule of law, and that's one of the strengths of this nation, that we're fair, we're equal. But here are the Democrats that want to game the system to control to keep in power. And I'm telling you, I don't know what the Chinese have on the Democrats, but it must be big because they never stand up to them. Very well put. Well, see you again, Kevin McCarthy. Thank you, sir, and take care of yourself. We'll be right back. Remember Senator Sheldon Whitehouse? More like Sheldon Outhouse. Remember this guy? Yes, yes. Talked like Daffy Duck. He was a former prosecutor, federal prosecutor. Oh, my God, he was a federal prosecutor in uh, Rhode Island. And these left-wing Democrats, particularly from New England, you know, the Kennedys, the Kerrys, the White Houses, they come from these, this sort of cabal of, uh, of extraordinarily wealthy, and may I say, white, white. I think that's in or out, whatever. Uh, Social-type groups, great wealth. And they always like to talk about what's wrong with America. They live one life, and they talk about another world. Turns out Senator Sheldon Whitehouse and his family go way back as members of an exclusively white, all-white club in in, uh, in Rhode Island, called Bailey's Beach Club. Now, first of all, I don't belong to any of these clubs. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell do you even do with these clubs? Now, I'm not against people. Do whatever you want. But I'm there. what do you do with these clubs? Well, you can eat. I can eat anywhere. Well, you can swim. I got a pool. I can swim. Well, the little ones. I don't have any little ones. A.K.A. waste of money. At least for me. Don't get me wrong. At least for me. Plus, I don't want to be around all these people, may I say, with all due respect. But Sheldon Whitehouse and his family does. Excuse me. Do. And so, Sheldon Outhouse, henceforth, long tradition of Rhode Island of these white, all-white Bailey's Beach Clubs. And you know what? Minimal attention today by the big media. Minimal. Minimal. 
They're always looking for reasons to go after Trump. But here they have a guy. They've got him. The name, it even works, White House. He only goes into White Houses. This guy, it's unbelievable. But they don't want to hurt him. He's an attack dog for the left. He favors abortion on demand. He favors open borders. He favors all the stuff that, you know, you got to favor in order to be a crackpot, unhinged leftist. So I want to give a hat tip to Go Local Prov, because they uncovered this. Of course, not the Washington Compost or the New York Slimes. No, 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 no. They wouldn't dare to look at Outhouse. Cut eight, go. Back in 2017, you had expressed concerns about the membership of the all-white Bailey's Beach Club, said that you hoped it would become more diverse. Now, your family's been members. Your wife is one of the largest shareholders. Has there been any traction in that? Are there any minority members of the club now? I think the people who are running the place are still working on that. I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. Um, do you have concerns? In uh, uh, dummy, she just said your wife is a major shareholder in the club. Now, that's interesting. His wife, not the two of them, his wife is a major shareholder. So he knows this is sleazy. He knows politically it's a bad thing. So the wife, he puts the wife up. Oh, she's a major shareholder. I I just wish that hasn't happened. I wish it would. Well, what about your wife, you jerk? Go ahead. It's been four years. You had remarks on the floor following the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd saying, you know, hoping to root out systemic racism in the country. Um, your thoughts on an elite, all-white, wealthy club again in this day and age. Um, you know, should these clubs continue to exist? Now let's stop there a minute. Systemic white racism. Where does Joe Biden live? Where do all these clowns live? I'm quite serious. Why don't they live in parts of cities that are known to be very dangerous? Why don't they do that? Anyway, go ahead. It's a long tradition in Rhode Island, and there are many of them. And uh, I think we just need to work our way through the issues. Thank you. That's it. Let's work our way through the issues. I'll be dead and gone, but let's work our way through the issues. It's been four years. We've made great, great... Uh, actually, we haven't. So uh, here we are, Sheldon Outhouse. And that's that. Maybe locally, a local news reporter. But, but nationally, that's it. Chuck Todd won't bother. George Steffi won't bother. Michael Strahan won't bother. No, no, no. Just like Obama and Biden and the rest of them turned the other cheek when it came to Robert Baird. Well, he was a Klansman. Well, he voted... Led filibusters against civil rights acts. Well, what are you going to do? That was then. This is now. He was a mentor. He was unbelievable. He took me under his wing. Just like Juneteenth. Obama never said a damn thing about Juneteenth. Eight years in office. Not a tweet. Not a speech. Let alone a national holiday. His big dummy, the vice president. Not a word. Not a thing. Strahan, he's with Obama. Hey, what about, you know... Not a word from the media, nothing. All of a sudden, hey, this is the biggest holiday ever. But they never said anything. I mean, media never said anything, Mr. Producer. Meanwhile, if you wake up and you're stupid enough to go to the Washington Post website, right, Rich? You would be embraced and met with five minutes of a racist screed against white people. And last time I checked... 
The man who runs the Washington Post is a white person. Very, very white. As he drives around in his Rolls Royce. Oh yes, it's true. In part, you would hear from Resma Menekem, Rebecca Toporik, Ilias Kennedy, among others. These damnable white people. If we can only be rid of them. Cut 19, go. A living embodied anti-racist culture does not exist among white people. White people got to start getting together, specifically around race. White accountability groups are really helpful in terms of having a place to process, having a group of people whose responsibility it is to call me on things or to challenge me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. White accountability groups people to call her on things because she's white? This is Washington Post. If you don't get it, you don't get it. I don't get it, and I don't get them. And Rasma Menachem, we got to gather white people, get together about race. Okay, let's go. Wrong things that we've been taught in history class, I realized that I needed to go back and unpack and reorganize everything that I had learned because it was completely through a white lens. This is exactly what these books are all about, critical race theory is all about, and now the Washington Post is all about. Unbelievable. Go ahead. Most of us in doing this work have experienced this where... There's a period of deep shame for being white. and I have no shame for being white. Being a red-blooded American male. Being who I am, I have no shame whatsoever. I haven't bothered anybody. But don't worry, Chuck Todd says this is a figment of a Republican imagination to get ticks and hits and, and, and just, to, just to stir things up. And don't worry, Nicole Jones or whatever the hell her name is, oh, yeah, yeah, same thing. It's all a conspiracy theory. I'm white. I need to unpack things. Please, abuse me. Be rude to me. Set me straight. I carry such, such baggage. I hate my parents and my grandparents. I hate my whiteness. Look at what we've done in this country. We, all of us, we need white accountability groups. White, ladies and gentlemen, is this sick? You know, my dear friend Bob Grant used to say, it's sick and getting sicker. I wish I had thought of that, but he thought of that. I don't know what he'd make up today, but it's sick and getting sicker. I feel such shame for my pigmentation. My genitalia. What I do with my genitalia. I've never been more ashamed. Straight, white, may I say, man. How did this happen to me? How can I... 
how can I pay my victims? What can I do? What victims? Don't interrupt. I'm in my accountability group. Go ahead. The harm that our ancestors have caused. And that's a very legitimate piece of this work. And what harm did my ancestors cause? What is she talking about? My ancestors were in Russia being abused by the Russians. What, what? Hey, you know the harm that my ancestors caused. Every white person here, do you know that? Every white person's ancestors held slaves. Do you know that? Well, that's a lot. doesn't matter. You're white. You're white. You're white. That's all that matters. Well, wait a minute. Every black person here... Many black people came well after slavery. Doesn't matter. Black, white. Hey, we got our agenda. Our agenda is Marxism. We need accountability groups. White accountability groups. That's what we need. We need to unpack what our ancestors did. You're embarrassed. Say it. I'm embarrassed. I said, yes, you are. And remember, this his, this country, yes. This country. Lousy, rotten, stinking country. Yes, yes, I agree. Yes, 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 yes. Vote Democrat. I'll be right back. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team, based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. A living, embodied, anti-racist culture does not exist among white people. White people got to start getting together, specifically around race. White accountability groups are really helpful in terms of having a place to process, having a group of people whose responsibility it is to call me on things. I'll or call to you challenge on something. Me. You're a moron. Go ahead. In wrong things that we've been taught in history class, I realized that. I needed to go back and unpack and reorganize everything that I had learned because it was completely through a white lens. Most of us in doing this work have experienced this where there's a period of deep shame for being white and for acknowledging the harm that our ancestors... It almost sounds like one of these old Saturday Night Live skits, doesn't it? Go ahead. And that's a very legitimate piece of this work. And we can't ask people of color to hold our hands through the shame piece. That needs to happen with other white people. See, these phrases come right out of these books. Now, I'm playing this for the dense 
and always slow Chuck Todd, who says this is a Republican conspiracy. This doesn't really exist. It's not really a problem. Chuck, I think you're white. Best as I can tell, I think you're white. Do you belong to a white accountability group, Chuck? If not, why not? Are you getting together with your white, wealthy neighbors to have get-togethers to talk specifically about race? Chuck, I'm just curious. This is the Washington Post, the front of its website this morning. It went on for five minutes. You only heard one minute. Chuck, are you ashamed of your whiteness? You know, it's funny. When I get up in the morning and I walk around and then go to bed at night, I don't think I've thought of my whiteness once. I don't think I've thought of my race once. I don't think I've thought of my skin color once. Have you, Mr. Producer? It's, it's just not, it's, it's not, it's not where I am. But I need to. I need to form a group, a white accountability group. I have a better idea. We need democratic accountability groups for how they've tried to destroy this country from its very inception. See, the media has to come to grips with, they won't, of course, but really they should. What's their propaganda on this? To dismiss it, oh, it's a Republican plot to turn white people against black people and stir up the white base. Or, is what the Washington Post says, hey... We need these white accountability groups, and I, I really am I'm having to relearn history and learn to de- hate my family, hate my parents, hate everything that came before. I, I really have to, I, I, I really am unraveling and re-raveling and just, uh, you understand, I'm rolling in mud. I'm just all worked up about this. Uh, and uh, anyway, which is it? Is it you got to join a group or it's just BS? Well, it won't matter to them. They'll push both. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 the tablet is an excellent publication, and um, there's a piece in there from July 3rd by Laurel Leff. Now, Laurel Leff is a professor and a brilliant author, and she's cited in my book, Unfreedom of the Press. She's the latest of three professors to track down the role the New York Times played in covering up the Holocaust. I have tried to get her on this show. I've tried to get her on Life, Liberty, and Levin, but no luck. 
Certainly not so far. I guess she fears the backlash at her university for for whatever the reason. Uh, Nobody's done more to promote her work than I, and for reasons that I believe are necessary. But when I talk about the New York Times to you and the Washington Post and the enemy of the people, as the president called the press, there's a reason for this. In fact, there's a good reason for this. The title of her piece is The New York Times Nazi Correspondent. As Adolf Hitler, this is important, folks, because the New York Times is cited all the time as the gold standard. The New York Times is cited all the time as the gold standard. So is the Washington Post. These are deeply rotten platforms. As Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany and then embarked on his program of world conquest and mass extermination, the New York Times Berlin bureau chief was busy slanting the news in Hitler's favor. You got that? The outbreak of the Second World War, the New York Times bureau chief in Berlin, Guido Enderis, was known to sit in the bar of the city's famous Alban Hotel spouting quote, a loudmouth defense of Nazism, unquote, eventually provoking another reporter to complain to the Times publisher, isn't it about time the New York Times did something about its Nazi correspondent? But the New York Times had no intention of doing anything about Enderis. In fact, it valued his close connections to the Nazi government, as it had throughout the 1930s. And you see, now you can see the New York Times and its, its sort of apologetic view of Hamas. and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, and its hate for the state of Israel. In fact, the New York Times valued his close connections to the Nazi government, as it had throughout the 1930s. All American newspapers found reporting in, the Nazi Germany, uh, uh, in Nazi Germany difficult. The government tightly controlled information and harangued and threatened reporters who managed to publish what it didn't like. The Nazi regime also didn't hesitate to use its strongest weapons, banning a newspaper from distribution in Germany, kicking a reporter out of the country, denying a reporter's re-entry. As a putatively Jewish-owned newspaper, the New York Times considered itself a special target. Bureau chief Enderis, so he wasn't just a reporter, he was a bureau chief. His job, therefore, was administering reasonably soothing syrup, quote-unquote, to Nazi officials, as another New York Times reporter put it. Yet Indiris' actions weren't purely strategic and their consequences were grave. Throughout the 1930s, the New York Times editor in Berlin helped steer Times coverage to play down Jewish persecution and play up Germany's peaceful intention. He kowtowed to Nazi officials, wrote stories presenting solely the Nazi point of view, and reined in Times reporters whose criticism he thought went too far shaping the news in favor of a genocidal regime bent on establishing a thousand-year Reich. Other New York Times reporters, as you know, I've written about Walter Durante, most conspicuously Walter Durante, who deliberately minimized the Soviet famine that took millions of Ukrainian lives in the 1920s, actually the 1930s, had become notorious for misreporting the news once time had passed and archives had opened. And Dearest, however has remained largely under the radar. I wrote about him in my 2005 book, she writes, Buried by the Times, 
the Holocaust and America's most important newspaper. But Indiris's personal perfidy likely got lost in the transgressions of his employer. To be clear, the New York Times had no agenda to bolster Nazism. In fact, Arthur Hayes Sulzberger, the Times publisher during most of the Nazi era, uh, era, detested Hitler and advocated U.S. intervention to stop German aggression. Nor was Indiris a Nazi collaborator, a charge that should be leveled carefully given that Nazi propaganda seriously actually enlisted American correspondents. Instead, what crippled the Times' coverage of Hitler and the Nazis was a timidity and deference to authority born of being an institution controlled by Jews who desperately wanted to fit into WASP society rather than run the slightest risk of being tossed out of Nazi Germany and causing a ruckus over its Jewish ownership. The Times let a figure like Enderis, a pitiful ally of some of history's greatest villains, lead its Berlin bureau during its most consequential decade. And it goes on. It's a very long piece with a lot of details. The New York Times. No wonder the New York Times is aligned with the Democrat Party. I say this in all seriousness. If a Democrat Party, the party of slavery and the Confederacy, you have the New York Times, the party of censoring and distorting quote-unquote news out of the Third Reich. There is no reason to expect either of these institutions, ladies and gentlemen, to justly and properly serve us. There's no reason to expect anything better from them. Just as they do not condemn Marxism, they condemn Americans who they disagree with. Americans who voted for Donald Trump. Americans who are registered Republicans but not rhinos and bend over backwards and apologize for their existence. The New York Times is a diabolical propaganda machine run by demagogues, as is the the Washington Post. It is they who foment hate. It is they who foment violence. It is they who lie about history. It is they who lie about events. Not I, not conservative talk radio, not Fox News. It's them. And their progeny, CNN and MSNBC. And the left-wing hordes who all wish to work for the New York Times and the Washington Post. Because, wow, now I've made it. You've made it what? These are corporations. These are corporations that I would argue sided with the enemy. By covering up what the enemy was doing, and even worse, by propagandizing and spinning for the enemy in the midst of World War II. I think the New York Times needs an accountability group, don't you, Mr. Producer? I think the Washington Post needs an accountability group. I think the Democrat Party needs accountability groups all across this country. We're Democrats. Where readers and employees of the Washington Post and the New York Times can all sit around and unravel their history. Their bigoted, racist, anti-Semitic, anti-American history. That's what I think. 
I wonder what Sheldon Outhouse thinks about it. I wonder what Joe Biden, Mr. Early On Segregationist, thinks about Oh, no, 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 you can't think that way anymore, Mark. That was way back when. No, no, we got to go all the way back to pre-Civil War. Oh, excuse me. Nicole Hannah-Jones. Does she understand the irony? Of course not. She's moronic. Of the 1619 Project, why doesn't she do the 1939 Project? That's a little bit more recent. No, I can't do that. Besides, she supports Black Lives Matter, which is an anti-Semitic organization. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Sorry. Got to get my groups right. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Our good friend, my good friend, actually, good man, Mike Lee, Senator of Utah. Mike, how are you, sir? Doing great, Mark. Thank you very much. All right, Mike, we've got this this constant push to destroy our electoral system, our constitutional structure, all for the purpose of empowering the Democrat Party and turning our election system into California's election system. That's what Nancy Pelosi has in her mind right now. Then we have West Virginia's mansion, who's constantly uh, ice skating on a uh, on a line here, uh, trying not to go too far, but on the other hand, trying to throw stuff to his party. And he's come up with some ideas which really are milk toast. And so, is this now what's being pushed? And is this now the uh, sheep in uh, wolf's clothing, or, or wolf in sheep's clothing, I should say? Look, this is a bad bill. And even if you water it down, it's still a watered-down bad bill. Yeah, this good is, uh, yeah. It, it, this, is, this is something that is not really going to make it easier to vote. It's just going to make it easier to vote illegally. Mm-hmm. It makes election fraud easier to commit and harder to find and punish by, by forcing the states, essentially, to allow unlimited ballot harvesting, undermining overwhelmingly popular voter ID laws, and making it harder to maintain accurate voter lists. But one of the worst things uh, about it is that it would not only allow, but in many instances require federal taxpayer dollars to go to fund partisan campaigns. I mean, this is absolutely insane. This would say that uh, $6 uh, of federal 
taxpayer money would be spent uh, uh, and, and, and delivered to all political candidates for every $1 that they raise from small dollars. I was talking to some of my colleagues the other day, and one of them was pointing out that uh, in that colleague's race, there would have been something like $80 million to that candidate's campaign mm-hmm. from the federal government. This is wrong. You know what happens when the federal government gets to send taxpayer dollars to somebody's campaign? That means they're also deciding who legitimate candidates are and are not. That starts to feel awfully draconian and something the American people are not inclined to accept. Other than on the civil rights side, why would we want the federal government involved in any of this? We know our history. The history is that the states get to decide. I went back and I read some of the uh, state uh, ratification conventions, and they made it clear this was priority number one. They wanted to control the manner in which uh, uh, officials were chosen, or they would not have adopted the Constitution. And now it's as if our history doesn't matter. The Democrats want to centralize all power. They want to have all power so they can control all power. It's all about the Democrat Party, isn't it? Yes. And you, you have to ask the question, Kui Bono, who benefits from that? You benefit from that if you want to be able to manipulate the system. It's a lot easier to manipulate one system than it is 50 state systems, or 50 states times however the average number of uh, counties there, there are. It's a lot easier to manipulate when you can consolidate and that's why consolidation leads to corruption. That, by the way, Mark, as you were alluding to, that's exactly why the Founding Fathers put this power in Article One, Section 4, but limited that power to time, place, and manner restrictions specifically on U.S. senators and representatives. Outside of that narrow context, we don't have any business legislating on election law, mm-hmm. any business uh, uh, passing laws determining how states conduct elections. That is entirely up to the states. Let me ask you something. You're in the Senate. You watch this stuff going back and forth. I told you maybe many years ago that a dear friend of mine and a mentor of mine, Senator Paul Laxalt of Nevada, Ronald Reagan's buddy. When I was a young man, I visited the Senate. I didn't know Senator Laxalt. He was nice enough to meet me. I mean, I was from Pennsylvania, not Nevada. But I was agreeing with the president or President to be on the Panama Canal, and I wanted to meet Paul Laxalt because he was taking the lead on this. And I sat with him, my father and I did, and he must have given us 40 minutes. And one of the things he said to me, Mike, was, every day this body meets, we lose a little bit of our liberty. That has stuck with me for 43 years. It's true, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely true. And it becomes more true, Mark, every single day that passes when we, as Americans, are asked by the mainstream news media, by the entertainment industry, and also by uh, our academic establishment in America, we're asked to accept this deeply flawed assumption that passing legislation is, in the abstract, a, a, a good thing, that it's an unmitigated good to pass things. We forget the fact that, you know, passing something isn't always the right thing. And in fact, a lot of the time, it's just adding to the complexity of the law, which operates as a sort of subsidy for the already wealthy and well-connected. It's actually a, an impairment to liberty, and that's why the Founding Fathers made it very difficult to pass federal legislation and limited that further by limiting the subject matter of what we could even legislate on. 
That's why I get very frustrated with people saying, oh, the problem with Washington is that nothing can get done, nothing can get passed because there's all this gridlock. Mark, you, you don't get to be $28 trillion in debt without a whole lot mm-hmm. of bipartisanship. You don't get to the point where you've got $2 trillion of annual regulatory compliance costs at the federal level without a whole lot of Republicans and a whole lot of Democrats agreeing to empower unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats at the expense of individual liberty. There's a whole lot of bipartisanship going on here, and it doesn't always end well. No, you're exactly right. But I have to say, what we're going through today is different than what we went through two, three, five, eight years ago. This is more radical. This is more aggressively anti-constitutional, anti-capitalist, more Marxist-oriented than anything I've ever seen in my life. This is, this is a, uh, a time for reckoning here, whether or not we're going to be able to hold on to what we have or not, don't you think? Yes, and it's also markedly different in that the sentiment around it is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to um, have much more of a sense in Washington that there was a, a good faith collegiality uh, among and between the two parties. Lately, I get the sense, especially on things like S-1, that these guys aren't just... That's the federal voting uh, law proposal. Yes, the federal voting law proposal, the, the, the Illegal Voting Act, if you will, or the Corrupt Politicians mm-hmm. Act, if you want to call it that. It's not just that they dislike Republican state voting reforms. And in fact, this legislation was drafted long before 2021. This has been around for a couple of years. They did this not just because they dislike Republican state voting reforms. They dislike Republicans. They don't want Republicans to win elections anymore. And if we pass legislation like this, that'll be the case. It'll be the closest thing to what we've ever known as an institutional party in America. That's what the Democratic Party will become if this passes. All right, my friend. Uh, we're about to lose our time here. I want to thank you very much. Now, real quick, what's the likelihood it'll pass? Likelihood it passes is very low this week, but we've got to remain ever vigilant. People can always learn more about this at leaveforsenate.com. You're up for election, aren't you? I am indeed. Well, you have my full indeed. wholehearted support, Senator. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks and months ahead. Leaveforsenate.com. And we're going to put that up on Parlor too. Thank you, Mike. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
just a reminder, Chuck Todd's birthing person, white supremacist, significant other, is a Democrat. And so there he is again on the Sunday show. This time he's talking to Senator Rob Portman on Meet the Depressed. And by the way, Chuck, you're in this book too, like you were in my prior book, because you're like the perfect foil. Cut 10, go. I want to ask you about Joe Manchin's idea on voting reform. He put out a blueprint and a memo, five bullet points. They look fairly reasonable. I'm curious what you think. Make Election Day a public holiday. Mandate at least 15 days of early voting. Ban partisan gerrymandering. Require states to send absentee ballots to eligible voters. And require voter ID, um, with, uh, including things like utility bills. Is that a basis to start a conversation in your view? All right, let's stop. I don't know what Portman says, but first of all, Ban partisan gerrymandering, and how would you? What would you? What would you put in its place? Well, we'd have a commission of experts, you see, and the Democrats are skillful surgeons at taking over these commissions. They always want to ban politics, partisan politics. So they want one party rule. Can't have gerrymandering. No, we can't have that. I know. Require voter ID. They just saw that 80% of the American people, including minorities, including Democrats, they want voter ID. Wow, hurry up, reverse course. But here's what Chuck Todd doesn't understand. The Constitution is an ignoramus. The Constitution gives, other than very limited power, the decision about election laws to the states. To the states, Chuck. I'm sorry. It just does. Anyway, go ahead. First of all, I appreciate what Joe Manchin is doing here. He's trying to find some middle ground. Um, unfortunately, what he does is what the larger bill, S-1, does, which is it takes the election system in this country and federalizes it. So it's a federal takeover of our election system. And as you know, under the Constitution, the, the state is that power. You know what's I, annoying? This guy never lets anyone finish. And he has nothing intelligent. Hey, what? Well, takeover? Come on, man. Takeover? Now, listen to what he says, because he's ready for this. Go ahead. I mean, Extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. Wait, only because well, there's yeah, usually because a baseline. He, he would be telling my, my state of Ohio right. that... Well, federal government tells no, the state he, how he, to he, spend transportation money. Sometimes. All right, let's stop. Hey, look, you know, the federal government tells the state how to spend transportation money. So the federal government's telling states what to do. Hey, idiot, what did I just say? The United States Constitution, which doesn't talk about federal transportation money. It talks about elections. The United States Constitution leaves it mostly to the states. Hello, Chuck. Hey, but wait a minute. Federal transportation, because some moron, probably as he's walking into the studio, hey, Chuck, tell him this. Go ahead. Well, that, that, that's true, when there's, and there's federal money provided for that. In this case, what he's saying to the state of Ohio or your state of Florida, right. uh, we're going to decide how. Wait a minute. Is Chuck Todd's in the state of Florida, Mr. Producer? Wait a minute. Ooh. Chuck's not in Washington. Your state of Florida, is he from Florida? I think he's from Florida. I think the wifey lives in Virginia. 
But if they live in Florida, I wonder why. Go ahead. Get away from the democracy in effect, which is right now in Ohio, you know, our state legislature makes that decision. These are elected representatives, and he wants to take it away and make it a federal responsibility through some kind of a commission. You understand that, Chuck? A little above your head? Is it time for your Democrat accountability group where you all can meet and talk about how you've treated people throughout the uh, last two and a half centuries? Hmm? Is it time for that? Maybe not. Not with Chuck. He's, uh, he's in good shape. He doesn't need to be in one of those groups. Do his kids go to public school or private school? Does anybody know? I don't think so. You know, there was an article out the other day, and I'm sure it's here somewhere, but my computer isn't working. It's waiting for a dip in the Potomac River when nobody's looking. Anyway, um, we're like two-thirds or three-fourths of the Democrat senators now demanding an end to the filibuster used to defend it. Used to defend it. So they're just power-hungry political dwarfs. That's what they are, power-hungry political dwarfs. In all this talk about race, how come there's almost no talk about the Civil War? Well, we want to talk about the history of race. How come there's almost no talk about the Civil War? How come there's almost no talk about every battle in the Civil War? How come there's almost no talk about the casualties in the Civil War? Why is that? I'll tell you why it is, because it gives the lie to all of this. To all of it. The vast majority of the men who fought the Civil War were white on both sides. On both sides. Not exclusively, I said the vast majority. And you literally had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of white men fighting other white men to end slavery. And the carnage was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tens of thousands of men dying in one battle or the next battle. On a valley. In forests. In a wheat field. Tens of thousands dying each battle. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of white men fighting other white men to end slavery. This is a time when the nation wasn't 60 some percent white. It's a time when the nation was probably over 80 percent white. Just my guess. If we are, and if we were, as these Marxists say we are and we were, there would have been no civil war. Why would there have been? If all whites are the same, and all whites want a dominant society, and all whites are systemically racist, why would all whites go to war with each other? You see the hideous, insidious, invidious nature of this Marxist movement. 
these racist Marxist movements. Is that taught in schools? Every single battle? I mean, if we're really going to get down and dirty, if that's what they want on the left, and then these teachers' unions and all the rest, tell us about every battle. And tell us about the race of the men and the women who were in each battle. Well, really the men, but you understand. Let's get down and dirty. Let's find out. What I find appalling is the elimination of Abraham Lincoln's birthday as a national holiday. We now have Juneteenth, which nobody thought about as a national holiday in any significant way. Not even our first black president and our first albino president, uh, that would be Biden. But Juneteenth wouldn't have happened. But for the presidency, even though he was assassinated, the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. And we remove his name and have President's Day where he's there with Tyler, Van Buren, Clinton. As if he's just another ambiguous historical figure. The man in America who did more to end slavery, the man in America who did more for the African-American slaves was Abraham Lincoln. And yet the critical race theory types and the rest said, no, 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 you don't understand. He wanted to send black people back to Liberia. He had different ideas and different thoughts. He becomes president of the United States. There's a civil war and he says we must keep the union together and we must destroy slavery. Frederick Douglass, who was skeptical of Lincoln, became a huge Lincoln fan. And as my dad wrote in his book, after the second inaugural address, the second shortest inaugural address in American history and a profoundly brilliant and important speech that Lincoln wrote himself. Lincoln goes back to the White House. It's raining. The skies opened up when he gave his speech, by the way. The sun came out. He goes back to the White House. They have a sort of an inaugural event going on there. And he sees through the door that there's a little tussle going on because this black man's trying to get in to see the president. It's Frederick Douglass. And he tells the equivalent of the Secret Service back then to back off. He wanted to talk to his friend, Frederick Douglass. It's Frederick Douglass who, who writes about this account. And Lincoln says to Douglass, What did you think? And Frederick Douglass said he could not have been more impressed. We don't talk about Abraham Lincoln very much, do we? It's just not part of the narrative. It's a white man. Did I mention that? We don't talk about Abraham Lincoln much. We've whited out his birthday off the calendar. 
We were told in order to make room for Martin Luther King's birthday, we couldn't have Washington and Lincoln's birthday, so we made President's Day. Then we made Juneteenth. See, I have a long memory. Well, what happened to Lincoln, let alone Washington? How's Lincoln taught about in our schools? He's put down. He's dismissed. People don't realize the enormous pressure there was on Lincoln to sue for peace or to just stop engaging the South. Let them go. Let them go. He said, no. I can't let them go. There are all kinds of arguments made about why he should. I mean, after all, federalism. Lincoln said, no, this isn't federalism. This is the destruction of the country. You know, long before the Civil War, James Madison, considered the father of the Constitution, there were states that began nullifying laws and states that began threatening to secede from the nation. And he wrote a long letter to a friend of his. And he said, states can't secede. His friend said, why? He said, because once they adopted the Constitution, their citizens were not only citizens of the state, they were citizens of the country. And the states don't have the power to take citizenship away from their citizens of the country. These were brilliant, brilliant men. History is not taught. More of the critical race theory is taught. But it is funny how they never talk about Lincoln anymore. Or the Civil War or any of the battles. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Omanashevitz, I'm almost out of time. Sorry. Please don't forget to grab your copy of American Marxism. I think you'll find it very, very enlightening. There's so much in there, and it flows one chapter to the next. So, it's not a textbook. It's written to be very understandable, but, you know, you have to focus when you read a book like this. So, it's written for the smartest audience of audiences, you. You know, after the disastrous short presidency of uh, 
although not that short, almost the full term of Andrew Johnson, who was a disaster. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant was elected president of the Republican Party, the Republican House and the Republican Senate. And there are horrific things being done to freed, formerly black slaves in the South by Democrats aligned with the Democrat Party. Klansmen. And Grant was told about it and he was disgusted. I mean, after all, he led the war that won the war. He sent the United States Army down south and they basically wiped out the Klan. In the next election cycle, the Democrats took down the House. He couldn't send the army down there, and the Klan expanded. We've been in constant war with the Democrat Party and their inhumanity. And it continues to this day. I want to salute all you heroes out there. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll jump over and get your American Marxism copy. And God bless each and every one of you. Have a-